Please rise for the reading of God's word, which comes to us today from John chapter 10, verse 1 through 21. This is Jesus speaking, and he says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to me. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved, and he will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon, and he is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of the one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? This is the reading of God's word. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Some of you might have heard this story before, but author Anna Moss tells a true story of an eight-year-old boy. Uh, this eight-year-old boy had a younger sister who was dying of leukemia, and he was told that without a blood transfusion, his younger sister would die. His parents explained to him that his blood was probably a match with hers, and if it was, he could be her blood donor and possibly save his life, her life. They asked him if they could test his blood, and he said, yes, sure. And so they did, and it was a good match. And then they asked if he would give his sister just a pint of his blood that it could be her only chance of living. The eight-year-old boy responded that he would need to think about it overnight, to think about it. To this, to think about it, we, we throw up our hands, because it's just a pint of blood. And with this pint of blood, he can save his sister's life, and he has to think about it. We lose our faith in humanity just a little bit more as we hear stories like this, and we wonder why are people so evil? Why are we so selfish? Why do we have the power to care and to help? Are we often so selfish? Why is it that we just don't seem to care? 
In our text on the Good Shepherd, Jesus puts his finger on an very important issue. He compares shepherds to leaders. Shepherds were in charge of caring for flocks of sheep. And Jesus uses this image to talk about human leaders like kings and emperors and pastors. And the sheep are the people who, who, who the, the kings are supposed to lead and to guide and to protect and to care for. But he points out something really important in this story. That even amongst the people of God, there are good shepherds and bad shepherds. That even amongst God's people, there are good shepherds and there are bad shepherds. And just like our eight-year-old boy who only really seems to care about himself and not others, there are shepherds in this world who really only care about themselves. They don't care about the sheep. They don't care about people. Have you felt this? Have you ever been to a church before and felt like the pastor doesn't even really want to know your name? Have you had a teacher, a boss, a coach, or any type of leader that, that, that uses his people for his own gain and often causes them to suffer? Have you ever had a leader who you knew was just using you and the minute something got hard, the minute things got hard, like they might have to put a little of their own sweat and blood into the game and suddenly they vanished, leaving everyone else in ruin? Jesus knows that this world is full of bad shepherds, full of leaders who use the sheep, who abuse the sheep, who hurt the sheep, who abandon the sheep, and ultimately, because they don't care. They do not love the sheep. And sometimes, even we in the church can be these types of leaders. We can become these types of leaders. And the question is, are we following good leaders or are we following bad leaders? Or are we good leaders? Into this dynamic, Jesus speaks. And so Jesus tells us that what we ultimately need is a good shepherd. Who could the shepherd be? Jesus declares that I am. I am the good shepherd and that we are meant to follow him. And so from our text today, we're going to see two things. Number one, what does a bad shepherd look like? What does he say about a bad shepherd? And then secondly, what does a good shepherd look like? So what does a bad shepherd look like? And what does a good shepherd look like? So first, what is a bad shepherd? To this, we turn to the text. The first question that we need to ask when we talk about this text is actually, who is Jesus talking to? Well, right before this, Jesus had just healed a man born blind on the Sabbath. And the religious leaders of the day, called the Pharisees, are super angry. Uh, who are the Pharisees? Who are these angry Pharisees? Well, Pharisees were sort of the religious and cultural leaders of the day. They believed, actually, because we've read their writings now, we, we, they believed that they were saved by grace. They really did. They believed they were saved by grace, and they looked at the Exodus story, and they were like, man, God saved us as a complete gift. And so they looked at Exodus, and they were like, we have been saved by grace um, as a complete gift. But this made them do two things, which God constantly has conflict with the Israelites about. Number one, it made them think that they were better than other people. They were better than the other nations. That they were better than those other people. This is why when you see in the story of Jonah and in the prophets, God is continually coming to Israel and continually rebuking them for looking down at other people. Have you forgotten that I saved you as a complete gift, though you were equally unworthy? But second, they also believed that God had given them this gift of salvation. 
but they have to be really, really, really good to keep it. Almost like God had given them this wonderful diamond, and if, and if they were bad, God was going to take it from them and throw it away. So they were really, really good, the Pharisees. They knew their Bibles, often having the first five books memorized. They obeyed all laws. They even tithed their seeds. Hope you're doing that. Um, they prayed all the time. They wrote Bible verses on their hands and wore them on their heads. And they even made up all these extra laws so that they could be extra really, really, really good. Which, these things aren't necessarily bad. But what you see come out in the story is that it had made, it made their hearts actually bad. And, and so, so what happens? Well, Jesus sees a guy born blind, and he loves him. He cares for him. He cares for him so much that he comes up to this guy, and he heals him. He spits on some, on some dirt, and he makes mud, and he wipes it on this guy's eyes. And the first thing this man ever sees in his entire existence is the face of his Savior looking at him. The first thing this man ever sees is Jesus' face. And the whole world should be rejoicing. The whole world should be rejoicing. But the Pharisees, the religious leaders, whose job it is to point the people to God and to lead them to Jesus, are angry. They're furious. Why? Because Jesus made mud. He broke the Sabbath. He did work. He made mud. And in response to this, Jesus tells our story about good shepherds and bad shepherds. In verse 6, that they who did not understand is the Pharisees. And in verse 8, when it says that all who have gone before me are thieves and robbers, Jesus is referring to those religious leaders who have gone before him. Uh, these are the bad Pharisees. These are the bad priests. These are the bad kings. These are the false messiahs and the bad prophets. All of these are the people whom God has raised up to protect and to guide and to care for God's people. But they are bad, and then they hurt, and they exploit, and they use the very people they were made to care for. They use the very people they were made to serve, and ultimately, Jesus shows they only care about themselves. The Pharisees, as they see Jesus heal this person, should have been the people who praise God and rejoice that Jesus healed someone who were blind. I mean, this is what God promised he would come and do to open the eyes of the blind, and there he is. He heals the blind guy, and instead of moving the people towards Jesus, they get angry and they pull them away. This is insane. We're meant to be angry ourselves. These shepherds, instead of moving the people towards God, actually pull them away. In verse 10, Jesus says, these people are thieves. These religious leaders have come to steal and to kill and to destroy. They steal and take other things so that they can have it. They kill others so that they can live on and have their things. They destroy anything that threatens them, and they take what they can for their own selves. Jesus says these people are like hired hands. A hired hand is a person who doesn't care for or love the sheep because he doesn't own them. And when the wolf comes, because he only cares about himself and he does not love the sheep, he bolts, and the sheep are slaughtered. He's there for the money. He's there for his own self, and as long as he gets his money, he stays. But when something comes that threatens him, he's gone, and the sheep are ultimately the ones who suffer. He flees, Jesus says, because they care nothing for the sheep. They flee because they do not care about the sheep. When I was a missionary in China, there was this church in this village that was outside of the city that, that I really loved, and... Um, 
one day the pastor who came into Kunming and told us that, that there were these new awesome people who had showed up to the village who were Christians. And he was so excited because they knew their Bibles well, they were servants, and they were such a huge help to this tiny little village church. And it wasn't long until they were asked to be leaders. And about a month into this, uh, the pastor told us that they started saying things in secret about him. And suddenly the church fired their pastor, who was my friend, and kicked him out of his own church. And immediately after they kicked him out, they started teaching the secret things about the Bible that he had never told them. Like, there were other books. Like, that Jesus had already come back to earth as a woman. And they asked him to give more money to serve more. And when they got everybody's money, and did as much and got as much as they can, those people were up and gone, and the village was left in ruins. And people's lives were destroyed. They not only, you know, decided to not be in the church, they decided not to be Christians. It was devastating. These people came in as thieves and robbers, and they stole, and they destroyed God's people. They did not care at all about people. They only cared about themselves. But these types of things don't only happen in the church. These things happen everywhere. You see this in governments and in companies and schools. Anywhere there is leadership, you see people use that leadership for their own gain and ultimately to use and destroy people. You see it when companies and businesses destroy people's lives and get insanely rich in the process. It happens when Instagram influencers and YouTube people, I don't know what YouTube people's names are, but I just call them YouTube people. It's whatever, when they do and say whatever they can to get as much views as they can, selling you things they don't even actually care about because they just want your money. Not caring if anything they say is true or if this is even good for you. It happens when people go on the internet and take their clothes off to get views, not caring at all if it's making them slaves in the process, destroying marriages in the process, destroying future marriages in the process. They just want money and they want you to get your eyes stuck to screens. And the question is, why in the world do we follow such people? Why is it that we follow such people? These people do not care about us. They don't, they don't care about, about truth or goodness or beauty or if they help or they hurt us, and yet we follow them as if they're good shepherds. They care not, they only care about themselves and what they can get from us. And if anything threatens them, if anything at all comes and threatens them, they bolt and leave, not caring if we are destroyed. Jesus tells us about shepherds for, about bad shepherds for a few reasons. The, the, the very obvious question we must ask when we read this text is, who is leading you? Who is your functional shepherd? Who is guiding you? Who are the people and things in your life that you listen to and follow? Are they leading you to God and to life, to his blessings? Or are they leading you to death, to greed, to slavery, and ultimately to your own destruction? Do the people whom you've given your life to, do they care about you, or do they care about what they can get from you? Are you fine with being manipulated and led by others who don't care about you? But also the question has to be asked, are we bad shepherds? Are we bad shepherds? This is especially an important text for religious leaders like myself. Am I a pastor so that people can worship me and serve me? Am I up here right now? Hoping that at the end of the sermon, you know, you really like what I have to say. Am I using you for my own happiness and for my own worth? Or am I actually serving people in an RUF because I love them and care about them and am leading them to God and to life? Or am I trying to lead them to Nate Waddell 
That is the question that I have to ask as I'm reading this text. That is the question we have to ask as we minister to God's people. And this is really hard because it makes you look inside. But what about you? You who are leaders in your businesses and in schools and in different areas of your life. Or what about when you become leaders? Will you be good? Will you care for God's people? Will you serve people for their own goodness? Or will you be the boss or the leader who steals and kills and destroys? The heart, the heart of our leaders throughout the entirety of the Bible is what God wants his people to look at the most. It is their heart. It is their character. It is their love for God. For the bad shepherd cares not for the sheep. He cares nothing for the sheep. And Jesus tells us to not listen to their voices. So we've seen what is a bad shepherd. But the next question becomes, what is a good shepherd? What does Jesus say about what a good shepherd is? In verse 10, Jesus says that these bad leaders have come to steal and to kill and destroy ultimately for themselves. But Jesus he came not to take for himself, but to give. And he comes to give life and life abundantly. Not for his own gain, but for ours. And then he says, I am that good shepherd. He is the true leader. He's the true prophet, the true priest, the true king who comes to speak life to his people. He is the king who comes to guide and to protect. He's the, the shepherd who loves his sheep and who's willing to, to lay down his very own life to protect their own. He is the good shepherd. And there are three things I want to show you that reveal what makes him so good. Number one, as a good shepherd, Jesus has come to gather his sheep into one. To make, to make them into one, one flock or to one, one people. Look, Look at me at verses 14 through 16. Jesus says this. He says, I am the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold, I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. Why? So that there will be one flock with one shepherd. Jesus is pointing out here that he's the good shepherd and that he has come to gather his sheep into one people. He has come to gather those people to back to himself as a shepherd, but also back to one another. That Jesus has come to earth for, to, to gather the people of God, and then he's come to gather them and to make them one. And what's really, really cool about this is that on the one hand, we see that he's come to Israel, but Jesus says that I've come not only just for Israel, but there are others. And what, and what we, we know is that Jesus has come and he is currently in the process of gathering all peoples from all over the earth and from all time. And he is gathering and bringing them back to God. But he is also uniting us and bringing us and making us one. How do we come to Jesus? It says that when we hear our shepherd's voice, we come to him. Why? Because we know him. When we hear the voice of Jesus call out to us as our shepherd, we come to him because he knows his sheep and we know his voice. It's kind of like in a crowd of people when I call out to my dog, Theo. You all could call to him, but he's going to come running, actually probably to my wife, because he knows that she loves him. And just as when we hear Jesus' voice call out to us, we come to him because we know he's our good shepherd and Jesus has come to gather us. But he's, but he's not, not just come, come to gather us to himself. He has also come to make us one, to gather us into one flock, meaning he's also connecting us to each other. Human beings, the Bible tells us, were not made to be alone. Alone, they are easily plucked away by wolves. They are easily scattered. And the wolves have come to scatter the sheep. 
One of the ways you know the work of the devil is when you see disunity amongst people's God, amongst the people of God. When you see the sheep scattering from one another, instead of moving towards one another, we know that Satan is at work. But Jesus has come to undo that, to gather the people into one. He connects us back to God, but also back to one another. And we were made for this. We were made to be connected and loved by both God and one another. And Jesus comes and gathers all these different types of people from all these different times and comes and makes us one. Anyone watch the movie or the TV show Stranger Things before? I have. Uh, I remember I showed up on campus and all these, you know, 18-year-olds are wearing ACDC T-shirts and having like one long earring with like a lightning bolt and other 80s things. And I was like, I should probably watch this TV show. Um, and so I, I watched it and I'll try not to give you too many spoilers, but in season four, this, this show does an excellent job of putting its finger on something and that is that we desperately need each other. Throughout the whole show, it shows that we desperately need others. Because the bad guys in the show, they've come to kill, and they've come to steal and destroy, and what they do is they try to tear people apart because it's easy to defeat them alone. But those, the good guys, who are brought together, who pursue one another, are those who actually receive help. One character who saw her brother die last season has been trying to heal and go through her grief alone. But ultimately, the more and more she does it by herself, the worse and worse she gets. And it's not until she lets people in, and not just anybody, but good people in, that she finally begins to heal. Eleven, who's like the, the superhero of the show, has been trying to get her powers back all by herself. She's been a superhero. She doesn't need anybody else. And so she's trying to fit into society and, and heal herself by herself, and the, the, the more she does alone, the worse and worse she gets, but it's one of her ordinary friends come in and actually help her that she finally begins to heal. Why? Because the people who go through life alone are consumed by these monsters because they have no help. They live alone, and they die alone, and the Bible tells us that mankind was not meant, not made to be alone because you're needy. Jesus says, blessed are those who are poor in spirit. You know what that means? It means those who come to God are saying, I have absolutely nothing to give. I come with nothing because I have nothing. Blessed are those. For it's those who can actually receive the gift, the help, the grace of our Lord Jesus. And you know what Jesus does? He comes and he not only gives us himself, but he gives us one another. He gives us a people. He gives us a community of people where we are deeply connected to one another. Our shepherd has come to guide us and protect us, and he leads us to life. But he also gathers us into one flock, and he connects us to one another, and he chases after us, and he gathers us from all over the world saying, you are mine, and we hear his voice. So the good shepherd gathers his people into one, which is what we would call the church. That's what we are. We are the gathered people of God. But secondly, the good shepherd leads his people into abundant life. Verse 10 says this. It says that the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I came that my people, that, that's the day, that my people may have life and they have it abundantly. Jesus says that these other leaders were bad because they ultimately were about taking, they were about stealing, they were about consuming God's people, but Jesus came to give. Specifically, he says to give life and life abundantly. 
the image of the good shepherd. It's a shepherd who comes and leads his sheep into a pasture of full and luscious grass and pure water and everything they need in the deepest part of their hearts for life and flourishing. And he's come to give it to them in just abundance and an overflowing gift. And what Jesus means here by life is his very own life. What Jesus means when he says, I've come to give them life, is his very own life. God's very unending, incorruptible, never-ending life. Resurrection life. Meaning that in the end, after our death, when Jesus comes back and establishes his kingdom that will have not end, we will be with him. And because we have his life, we will live forever under God's design, no sin, no suffering, no more fear, having all the promised blessings of the scripture and enjoying life forever with God that will not end. That is the life that Jesus has come to give and it is abundance. But what's amazing about the teaching of the Bible is that while eternal life is the promise of heaven and of life unending, when Christ rescues his people, his life, we believe, has already begun to break in. Meaning Christ gives us his life, but he gives it to us even now. That the resurrection life of Christ is already flowing and beating through your heart and flowing through your veins. Meaning that when we live God's ways, Christ's life is coming out in us. When we obey his laws and live by his design, Christ's very life is beginning to burst out. When we worship him with our whole hearts and we see him in all of his goodness and in his beauty, and when we feel his blessings and we delight in his people in the here and the now and in this world and in this life, then the promised life that Jesus has, has promised and has already given us begins to break out. You have the life of Christ in you right now because he has come to give it to you and he has given it in abundance. You see, when I first became a Christian, I went from an atheist to a Pharisee that we talked about in the beginning. All right, Jesus, I understand you saved me, but I know now in order to keep this salvation, I have to follow all these rules and be really, really good because I don't want to go to hell. And so I thought, all right, it's time to brainwash myself. Right? right? Like, it's just, just like, like I was currently doing, doing with coffee. coffie. I was like, what, what I'm doing with coffee right now is what I need to do with being a Christian. Because I used to hate coffee. Like, like seriously hated coffee. But my parents started making me pay for things, which I went to college, which was the worst. And one of the things is I used to drink a ton of energy drinks. But they were like $4.50 a can or something. So I had no money. And I was like, you know what? I can go buy that whole tin of Folgers for just a few bucks. And then, and then I'm going to buy this little horrible little coffee pot. And I'm going to drink, drink it black every morning until I like it. Like but the thing, thing was, was, I hated it. Like, I, I seriously hated it. I, I, I would do, every day I would make some, and I would drink it, and I would literally say out loud, mmm, good. But, but I, did I did not think, think it was good at all. I actually thought, thought it was disgusting. Uh, and I tried not to puke, and I was like, all right, I'm a Christian, and this is what, it, this is what it's going to be like to be a Christian. Because, because I saw God's commands. I saw his laws, and I don't want to do any of them. I like the things that it said were sin. And I thought, all right, I just got to pretend I like these. Hopefully I can make myself, hopefully I can brainwash myself into being a Christian because I really don't want to go to hell. So I'll just do it. Live the Christian life. Say, mmm, good. But here's the thing. When I actually began to follow God's laws, 
when I actually began to understand his ways, when I, when I saw the life that Jesus was giving me, when I began to realize and to live out the things that Jesus called me to, I realized from experience that it was far better, far true, far more beautiful than anything the world could ever sell me. The life that Jesus gave was life abundance. His law started to become my very delight. And what I realized was happening is this is not brainwashing, but transformation. Because that is what Jesus does. He has transformed us by the renewing of our minds. And as we come, and as we obey these things, and as we follow these things, we begin to love them. And this shocks me. I'm shocked that I like that I like coffee. I truly do. I have two cups this morning. I love it. Uh, no cream, nothing. And this is shocking to me as I think about how much I disliked it. But it is a miracle that the people of God genuinely love from their very own hearts the very things that God calls us to. This is a miracle. When we love what God loves, when we hate what God hates, when we follow Him, even when it doesn't make sense, that is miraculous. That is transformation. And what Jesus has done is he has come and he has given us his very own life. And the life that he gives us here is far more better, far more true, far more beautiful than anything the world could offer. What the Bible teaches is so good. It's teaching about sex and marriage. It's far more beautiful. It's teaching on work and money. It's far more beautiful. It's, it's teaching on, on the slavery of idolatry. It's freeing. It's teaching about service, about leadership. It's teaching about everything. It's far more beautiful than anything the world could ever give you. Do you see this? Do you truly believe this from your own hearts? Because the life that Christ gives is far more abundant, far more eternal, far more wonderful than anything the world can give you. Would you dare to follow the Good Shepherd? Would you dare to trust Him and to follow Him? Would you receive this life that He gives you freely in abundance? So, so the, the Good, good shepherd, shepherd has come to gather us. The Good, good Shepherd has come and given us life. But lastly, the Good, good Shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Jesus says, I care for my sheep. I care about you. I care for my sheep. I'm the Good Shepherd. I lay down my life for the sheep. I care so deeply for my people that I would protect them even to the point of going to die. You remember our, our story about our eight-year-old boy. The next day, our eight-year-old boy woke up and he went to his parents after he had been, you know, needing a night to think about it. And he said, I'm ready to give my blood. My pints, I'm ready to give my pints of blood to save my sister. And so, and so they, they took him to the hospital where he was put on a gurney beside his six-year-old sister, and both of them were hooked up to IVs, and then the nurse withdrew a pint of blood from the boy, which was put into his sister's veins, and the boy lay on his gurney in silence, looking away while his life-giving blood ripped into his sister until the doctor came in to see how he was doing. And the boy opened his eyes, and with tears streaming down his face, he said, Doctor, how soon until I begin to die? You see, the boy went to bed, not thinking about if he would do it, but to prepare himself to die for his sister. To lose everything he could and everything that he had to save her. Because he thought his parents were asking him to die. He didn't know how much a pint of blood was. He thought he was going to die. And in the end, he decided to do so. He cared so much about his sister that he gave his life functionally to save her. 
Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I lay down my life for the sheep. I give them my very own life, and I save them from death. No one takes my life. He says that at any moment, a legion of angels could have come down and saved him and taken him off that cross. But he went there, laying it down, because he cared for his sheep. He cared for us. God has given him authority to die and to be raised back up, and he will come and raise us back up as well, because God said, this shall be. On the cross, Jesus' blood was spilled for ours. On the night before he was crucified, he also went and he went to prepare. He said, disciples, come with me, as he suffered the reality that he was about to die and be punished for the sins and the death of his people, not himself. And there Jesus prepared to give his very own life, to shed his own blood for us, to lose everything, to give everything, not to save his sister, not to save his family, not even a friend, but to save his enemies. He cares about us. He did this to save our lives and to give us his very own life. Jesus is the shepherd we need. Not a person who says, go and die for me, and then give me all your things, but a leader who came and died for us and now gives us every single heavenly blessing. He's the true good pastor. He is the true good shepherd. He is the true king. He's the one who guides us to life, protects us from our enemies. He's the one we actually need. He's the one we're actually craving to know, the one we want most in our life. And here's the thing, he knows you by name. And he always has, because he cares for you. He loves you, and he delights in you. Will you follow him to life and trust him? to where he's guiding us. Will you listen to the voice of the good shepherd who knows you and loves you? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are the good shepherd. Lord, that you have come to rescue your sheep. Lord, that you have come to give us life, that you have come to take away all those things which, which kill us, Lord. You have come to protect us from the wolves. Oh, Lord, we need your, your help. Care for us, Father, for we are lonely and feeble. But we thank you, Lord, that you come to give us every good blessing. We thank you and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.